Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 832 with Rich Brooks. One of my things that, one of my issues with marketing is I think a lot of people think that marketing is about forcing people to choose you against their own best interest. And that is the worst type of idea you could ever have. And my whole approach to marketing is I know what I'm good at and I know how to get people from point A to point B. If you, Eric, want to get to point B, then come along for the ride. Now, not everybody wants to get to point B, whatever it may be. So they're not going to be a good fit for me, but that's absolutely fine. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months 
absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that that this podcast needs your support and you can support the show by supporting our sponsors, by using our affiliates. Those are the tools and services that are recommended to us organically. You can share this thing with everybody you know who's aspiring to be great. And really, the mission of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. If we're going to change the industry, if we're going to transform it, it has to come from the inside out. So the more individuals that know about this podcast, the more we can share the ideas from these thought leaders, the the values from these thought leaders and the knowledge from these thought leaders, the faster we're going to transform the industry. So help me with this mission by doing your part, by sharing this thing. Uh, And then lastly, come hang out on the network. I would love to have you guys in the network to meet you personally, to have you be a part of the conversation and to join this mission uh, to, to inspire and transform the industry. So, Today, we're talking to Rich Brooks. Rich Brooks is somebody who came on my radar before I even started this podcast. Uh, I don't know how much you guys know about my backup, my backstory. If you're new to the podcast, you uh, may not know that I was a commercial pilot and I resigned at the age of 26 and I went back to school for marketing and hospitality. I grew up in the restaurant industry and I, and I love the industry uh, and I wanted to work with the industry. So when I was back in school, uh, I discovered podcasting. And I immediately started listening to all these marketing and entrepreneurial podcasts. And in those circles, these uh, podcasting circles, uh, the, the podcast I was listening to, uh, Rich Brooks was a part of those circles with his podcast, uh, Agents of Change. So he had the respect and admiration from all these people that I looked up to. And he was in those circles contributing to the content in those circles. Uh, and when he reached out to me, not that long ago, like three or four months ago to be a guest on the show, I was like, oh man, like I made it. It was kind of like a moment for me of like these people that I looked up to now want to be on my show. Um, and I know he knows this stuff. So Rich was not referred to me organically by a past guest, but he is somebody that I listened to and I learned from. So he is my referral. <laughs> I guess you can look at it that way. So Rich Brooks is the founder and president of Flight New Media, a website a design and internet marketing firm in Portland, Maine. Uh, and he has um, his monthly flight log email newsletter, email newsletter and web marketing blog, uh, which covers topics such as search engine optimization, blogging, social media, email marketing, and building websites that sell. Uh, he knows his stuff. Um, and like I said, he's also the, uh, host of agents of change podcast. Uh, this is a really great episode around the topic of standing out being remarkable. Uh, he, he calls it his remarkability formula. So with no further ado, here he is rich Brooks with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest, the host and founder of the agents of change podcast and the president of take flight new media, rich Brooks, rich. Are you feeling unstoppable today? 
I am feeling unstoppable, Eric. Thank you for asking. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Uh, It's not every day that somebody approaches me to uh, contribute to Restaurant Unstoppable, who I recognize. I got a lot of requests (laughs) to be on the show, uh, but when I recognized your your agents of chains, uh, I think it was first John Lee Dumas, who I heard discuss you or reference you, and I know if if uh, if John's talking about people, and I've heard you in in reference in a few other podcasts over. This is way before I even started my podcast, so. Um, I, I'm excited to be connecting with people that I was looking up to back when I got started. And I know we're in good company. I cannot wait to get started, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So many to choose from, but the one that I always come back to is luck favors the prepared, Ooh. which I think originally Marie Curie, Marie Curie said, but, but it was updated in the Incredibles and, and Edna. Uh, said it and I, I liked her phrasing of it better so luck favors the prepared something to live by I love that and I think that sometimes people just look at individuals and they just think to themselves oh they're just so lucky but they don't see what's happening below the surface like a duck on water right like on top of the water they're just like everybody else cool calm and collected but below the surface they're hustling they're, they're paddling like crazy to get that work done but we never see it right right Awesome. Uh, so before we get into today's subject, we're going to be covering the remarkability formula. And there's four lenses we're going to be going over today. I kind of want to just introduce you to the audience a little more uh, informally, learn a little bit more about you and why we should be listening. So why should we be listening to you? Who are you? Oh, well, I don't like phrasing it like that because I, I don't <laughs> like to make too big a deal of myself, but I'll, I'll definitely give you my backstory. Uh, my name is Rich Brooks, and close to 25 years ago, I started the company Flight New Media, and it just it was me working out of my apartment in Jamaica Plain, uh, part of Boston, um, and building websites. And then I just can, got into some search engine optimization, and after that, blogging, and then social media, and moving to Maine and kind of continuing to grow this company um, and really running an agency for nearly a quarter of a century and just learning the ropes without you know anybody really teaching me. I just kind of had to figure it out on my own. And along the way, uh, kind of getting involved first with blogging and just by luck, luck favors prepared, right? By luck, hop, uh, getting into this group called these business blogging consultants and contributing with some well-known bloggers at the time. And that got me an opportunity to speak at the first year of Blog World. And that was fantastic and got to connect with some new people, including people like Mari Smith and and Pat Flynn and uh, Mike Stelzner, who continues to mentor me and give me a lot of great advice. And that caused me to start a side project, which is, as you mentioned, the Agents of Change. And that has been a 400 plus odyssey of interviewing digital marketing experts from around the world, uh, all with the idea of helping or uh, empowering people, marketers, entrepreneurs, to reach more of their ideal customers online. And it's also been an annual conference right up until COVID that I had here, right here in Portland, Maine, uh, 400 or so people showing up each year, and which may not sound like a lot, but if you know Portland, if you know Maine, you know, yeah. we only have one area code, 207, <laughs> so there's not a lot of people here. So yeah. to be able to pull in 400 people is actually quite a feat, and uh, we're hoping to bring that conference back next year. What time of year was this conference? September, the best say, month of the year. I was going to say, because it was in the winter and you pulled in 400 people. That's really saying something. <laughs> well, those would just be the people who were like hanging around anyway. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great way to get this thing started. So let's just get right into it. What is or what are the four lenses that we should be 
well, actually, let's start with why is marketing so difficult for so many companies? Why, why is marketing and teaching marketing your thing? Well, you know, I kind of, I never took a marketing course. I never even took a business class, to be honest, in college. But, you know, I kind of have always been fascinated by psychology, which is really marketing, right? Marketing is so much of psychology. And so it's been something that I've been drawn to over the years. And, you know, as I, and I was also always fascinated by computers and the internet. So it kind of, you know, that's just where I ended up. And what I noticed is a lot of people were struggling with their marketing and um, they couldn't figure out why. And, And one of the biggest things that I noticed is like, they just, they didn't know what they were doing. They weren't putting out messages that that resonated with anybody. Uh, they they just thought that marketing was about you know optimizing your website or it was about running Facebook ads without ever taking that first initial step to try and figure out who's my ideal uh, audience and um, what are their problems and what is the message and, and most importantly perhaps once I've done that how do I stand out out online or to use my vernacular what makes me or my company remarkable. Mm. And so that was kind of like the impetus of really sitting down with businesses who first just came to me for a web simple website and kind of digging a little bit deeper into what was their business and who are they trying to serve and what were they doing to kind of separate themselves from the competition. And over time it kind of developed into what we're now calling the remarkability formula. This idea of kind of a process to be able to stand out from your competition and, and attract the right type of clients. This is kind of this is striking uh, close to home for us right now because uh, we just did a, a we're in the middle of doing a three part business planning workshop with oh, Stephanie nice. Robson uh, and she the first the part one of that three part workshop is who are you writing your business plan for? Who's the audience? And a lot of this is striking close to home right now. So why is it so hard for people to discover what is a, what it is about them that makes them remarkable or unique? That's a great question. I think there's a few reasons. And one is not too many people like to admit they're remarkable or say that they're remarkable because it feels like it's grandiose, right? You know, it's like, who am I to say that I'm remarkable? I mean, you heard me. I was self-deprecating. I've been doing this for 24 years now. Um, So I think that that's part of it. The word is a little frightening. And so it's safer to not put yourself out there. And because of that, then people don't really get the benefits of standing out online. They want to stand out online, but they're afraid of making that step. So what I want to do is is kind of, A, demystify the word remarkable. So really all that means is that there's something about you or your company that's worth remarking upon, that helps you stand out, get people talking, and provide real value for people who are going to appreciate what you're bringing to the table. So it's just like self-reflection, but I can totally relate to what you're saying with this mentality. I'm not the best self-promoter. I mean, Jared, will he's sitting here. He'll tell you my right-hand man. He's like, like I'm not the best self-promoter. For me, it's like it's, I, was, I was raised to be humble you know, and to do the work and you know, let your work speak for you, right? Why is that the wrong mentality? I don't think it's the wrong mentality in terms of you should be doing quality work. And so I I never want people to think that it's all sizzle and no steak. But, you know, part of your one of my first clients ever was a psychologist. And he had actually written a book about marketing for psychology. And what he said is psychologists at that time, back in the late 90s, and before weren't very comfortable marketing themselves. Because, you know, like, how am I supposed to go out and say that I'm like a great 
uh, a great therapist, right? That's just not yeah, what they did. Yeah, when you sound like an egotistic asshole in the process of telling people how great you are, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so his whole point is, but if you have something of value, if you think you're a good therapist, if you went to school and, and got your doctorate and only to help people and then you sit there and you don't let anybody know that you are doing the service, then then you're really doing a disservice to you and you're not helping the very people you claim to help. Yeah. So you have to move past that fear of putting yourself out there and really kind of understand what the problem is, what the pain points are of your ideal customer, and then just do your best to service and support them. And I, you know, I always tell people who are having trouble with this is just put the focus on the audience mm. and ta- you'll find that it's very easy to stop thinking about yourself because I think we're so self-aware sometimes that's when we trip ourselves up. So, what you're saying reminds me a lot of a vision, right? Um, we have a vision for our business, but that vision is useless unless we share it with people, right? Yeah. You have to put into the universe where you're going, what you want to do. You also have to put into the universe what you bring to the table, what your what your unique selling propositions are, what your strengths are. Uh, if you don't, if, if people don't know these things about you, they can't just assume, right? Like they, you have to. There's a, there's a, some responsibility to echo it and to put it out there and to make people aware. Is what I'm hearing from you. There is, yeah. There's definitely some responsibility you have that if you have a product or service that's going to help people, that it's your responsibility to let them know that it exists. Yeah. One of my things that one of my issues with marketing is I think a lot of people think that marketing is about forcing people to choose you against their own best interest. And that is the worst type of idea you could ever have. And my whole approach to marketing is I know what I'm good at and I know how to get people from point A to point B. If you, Eric, want to get to point B, then come along for the ride. Now, not everybody wants to get to point B, whatever it may be. So they're not going to be a good fit for me, but that's absolutely fine. But if you're like, yes, I want to get to where you're going, Rich, or where you're heading, Rich, and I know that I see that you've got examples of people that you worked with before, you've taken them down this same you know, jungle river pathway, whatever it is, top of the mountain, I want to go along with you. So you're opting in to what I'm talking about. I'm not forcing you against your will. I'm just saying like, hey, here's how you get to this point. Here's how you get to this point. Here's how you get to this point. And if you want, I'll help you get along that along that road yourself. Yeah. Before we dive into the actual formula, there's one more thing that you said that I want to pull some layers back because I think it's really great advice. And you said you you have to focus on others. If When you take the, the attention off of yourself and you make it about others, that helps. How do you do that? Take us through that. Pull back some layers a little bit more on that for us. Yeah, it's it's really important because I know that I used to get super self-conscious if I got up on stage or even in class back in college, like raising my, you know, my voice would crack. It was just really terrible because I thought everybody's eyes were on me. And it took me a while to realize that really everybody's always paying attention to themselves and their own needs, almost like they don't even notice anything else that's going on. Um, so I think that that's part of it. And I just find that as soon as whenever I start to get too self-reflective, like as soon as I start saying like, you know, did I wear the right uh, outfit for this interview? Did I do this? Did I do that? Am, am I coming across as being um, too self-deprecating or too egotistical? I just stop and I just say, what does Eric need for me to do right now? How can I best support him? Or what is Martha and anybody else who's listening? What do they need right now? And as soon as I start taking the focus, the spotlight off me and putting it onto somebody else, that's when I find that everything falls into place. I stop worrying about what people are thinking about me and I'm only putting my focus on them. And then they feel that. 
and they appreciate that. And then I'm also listening to them. So if I think they wanted to get to point B, but they actually were going to point C and I'm also going there, well, then we can make that shift and that course correction. Yeah. And um, I I cannot agree more with you. And it's weird. And it's, it almost hurts to say this out loud because you don't want to offend people. But the truth is nobody gives an F about you. Like we are so consumed with ourselves when people think about us that we're blind to what the the trauma or the uh, uh, not trauma, but like the what's the word I'm looking for? The whatever's going in your head, whatever scenario, whatever like issues you're having, whatever drama is in your head is only relative to you. Nobody else is paying attention to that. So but we're so self-consumed by ourselves. The truth is nobody cares about you. So once you realize that it makes just getting your stuff out there so much easier. And I I think to compound even further, one of the issues I had when starting my podcast or just starting my business was with imposter syndrome, right? Of just like still suffer from that. Yeah. Who am I to say this is what you should be doing in your business? Like who's going to listen to me? Uh, But when you, when you take the focus, like you said, off of yourself and you put it onto other people, and you say, it's not about me. It's about what, what can I do for you and how can I serve you? When you take the attention off of yourself, it's like a switch flips in your, in your head. Do you know what's going on there? Psychologically, I, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I mean, I certainly feel it every single time that I notice it. It's, it's kind of like I do a little bit of meditation, not as much as I should, but it's the same kind of thing. It's like once I realize that I'm thinking about something else, it's just about letting that drop off and focusing on whatever I'm supposed to be focusing on or nothing, and everything starts to go back to the way it is. And I, I just feel that we get in our own way when we're trying to you know, if, if we're promoting ourselves too heavily or if we're focusing too much on ourselves, we can't really serve other people. But once we put the attention on them, it's actually self-serving for me. Yeah. Because once I start paying attention to what Eric needs or whoever else I may be talking to, I relax because suddenly I'm not holding up a mirror to myself and, and, and you know, criticizing every single thing about me, you know, how I speak, uh, how my hair is parted, you know, oh, wait, do I have ear, uh, hair ear showing today, whatever it may be. I just relax and I just go with it and I put the focus on them and then suddenly it's over because you're right. We focus, everybody's really involved with themselves and that's just human. I remember one of my first presentations ever was about blogging, you know, in a public scenario. And a friend of mine was there and I had this whole opening bit. And as soon as I got up in front of this group, I totally freaked out, forgot what I was saying. And that back then I used to have slides that had almost everything on it anyway. So I just turned around and for the first two slides, I literally just read the slides (laughs) until I caught my breath and then finished the presentation. And afterwards she came up to me and she goes, that was great. I said, well, yeah, after the first 10 minutes. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, when I froze and I forgot everything I was saying and I turned away from the audience and I read the first two slides, she goes, Rich, I think you were the only person who noticed yeah. that. Yeah, and that's true. And it was really like, like wow, like if yeah. you didn't notice that and she's the kind of friend who would be honest with me, I'm like, I guess I really am overthinking this and I should really just focus on who's sitting in the audience and not whether my joke landed or whether this slide looks good or whatever it may be. It's it's okay to be a unique individual. It's okay to have strengths and you you have to be your own champion and i'm i know i'm being a huge hypocrite when i'm saying this but it's true you're right and i think we've set this up really well i think we can now start to pull back the layers on what the remarkability formula is but first we need to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back 
Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. We are back. And you are just about to get into what the remarkability formula is. So what is the remarkability formula? Yeah, Eric, you queued that up really well with your with your last comment. And the whole idea of the remarkability formula is if you want to succeed in a world and online that's as busy and, and competitive as the one that now exists, then you really have to figure out how you can identify and name your own remarkability. And, and as I mentioned earlier... Everybody or just about everybody can be or is remarkable in their own way. And it's about finding out what that is. And, you know, over years of working with different businesses and entrepreneurs, developing out their business plans, working with them on their digital marketing, you know, I I started to come up with a series of questions that now has evolved into what I'm calling the remarkability formula. And what it is, is just the idea that there are four lenses that you can use. And I recommend going through all four of them to figure out what makes you remarkable. And you can layer these together. So it's just like you find something that's remarkable about yourself and find or focus doesn't mean you stop. You just work your way through this process. And when I've sat down with business owners and entrepreneurs to kind of do this remarkability formula work with them, some of the stuff comes immediately. And other stuff, they have to go back to their team, they have to go back and think about it, and it might take some time to develop. And so I'm happy to go through all four of those lenses. I can give you some examples of how this may work and maybe some ideas of the way that even your audience might uncover their own remarkability. Before we start pulling back the layers on these four uh, elements, the equation, what just list them off real quick. What are they? Sure. So they're find, fashion, I'm sorry, find, focus, 
fashion and frame. Okay. So the short versions of this is find is there's already something remarkable about your company. Uh, focus is about niching down. Fashion is about creating something that's not intrinsic to your offering, but is in alignment with you. And then frame is about repositioning what you're already doing in a way that's really going to resonate. Okay. Um, how is this different than say a SWOT analysis? Uh, you know, there's always going to be like seven different personality tests and it really just comes down to which one feels best for you. So I think that some of this is going to be overlapping this. And I, before we got on the call today or before we hit record, I was mentioning like, I didn't invent rocket science or new Coke with this. You know, the, there are other people who have talked about, you know, a unique selling proposition or the blue ocean strategy or purple Seth cow. Godin's the purple yeah. cow. <laughs> what I'm hoping to do is just create a system that anybody can follow. So it doesn't seem like, oh yeah, you know, I understand how Apple computer could do this, but how could I, who just owns a small flooring company in Portland, Maine, how could I possibly find what's remarkable about my business? And that's what I'm trying to accomplish here is help anybody really uncover their own remarkability so that they're not competing against other people, so that they're uh, attracting the right type of client and how to make their marketing feel effortless. So you said find is about basically finding what's already there. Uh, focus is about niching down and fashion is about getting alignment with who you are. What was the, the framing? I missed that part real quick. Framing is basically repositioning um, what you offer in a way that makes it more valuable to your audience. Okay. So let's, let's, and I can give you examples of each one. Yeah. So let's feel start pulling back to layers. Let's, let's start, you know, diving into these, starting with find, get into it. Absolutely. So like I said, find is there's already something remarkable about your business and it's just about identifying it and through marketing, amplifying it. So, you know, uh, there's a few different examples that I often talk about. And one is when I bought my first house, uh, it was in really dire need of a paint job. And so you might think, well, house painters, that's not really anything that you could be remarkable about. You might be cheaper or you might have better Yelp reviews, but neither of those things are really remarkable. So but what, what happens is, is that very often when you get your entire house painted, they, they may be there for a week or more. You know, it's a mess. That it's just like it feels like you're in the middle of a construction zone. It's very uncomfortable. One of the guys we talked to said he'd get the entire job done in two days. And we're like, you're hired. So on the first day, he shows up, not just by himself and with a friend, but it's 20 guys show up in five trucks. And they jump out and they get the ladders up and they're, they're just like hits, you know, immediately like swarming ants. They're just all over the house. They're hitting every single board, cleaning up everything. And by nightfall, they're all done. They might have even been singing she, uh, sea shanties along the time, but I, that may just be me remembering it the wrong way. But it was amazing. And then two days later after I tried, they came back and they did the whole thing again. Now, you can imagine that my neighbor seeing all these people like, uh, you know, like extreme house makeover coming to our house and getting, you know, getting it all done in two days. They notice this. And this is remarkable. And another important thing about remarkability is whenever possible, it should be something that's really difficult for your competitors to steal from you. And as you can imagine in this job market, uh, trying to hire 20 guys is nearly impossible. But even back then, it was a very difficult thing. Most house painters can't keep that many people on a job or on, on uh, payroll the whole time. So this was really something that was hard to compete against, was already part of their business, and he had gotten pretty good at explaining what made them remarkable. Okay, so in reference to the restaurant industry, 
are there any examples you can think of uh, good examples of something that would make you remarkable? So, I mean, there's always going to be some things. I mean, like there's a Dick's last resort, which is famous for having jerks as servers, you know, and putting giant condom hats on people and stuff like that. And obviously that is something that other people could steal, although it's a little bit trickier uh, because you don't that's not going to work for every single audience. Um, But things like that or, you know, Kowloon. And I'm thinking of Kowloon because, A, I grew up in the Boston area and also I was just reading on the Wall Street Journal that they're 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 closing closing down or at least they're going to greatly resize the restaurant down to less than the 1200 seats that they cur- or 1200 tables that they currently if have. If you want to if you want to drive down from Maine and stop in New Hampshire and pick me up to go for one last rock Kowloon's I'm on board. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. <laughs> well, I, I'm already bummed because when I went to uh, my camp Camp Bowercrest uh, in Amesbury, Mass all those years ago, uh, the waiter's trip always went to Hilltop Restaurant and now all that's left is just the giant cactus sign out front and that was like it was probably terrible food. But I just, it was always like such an epic trip down there. And having that giant cactus was always something that people would remember. So, Route One, uh, Boston area will, for, will for never be the same, that's for sure. But so I, what were you going to get at with the Kowloon? What makes them unique? I think for them, it was building up something where uh, they had like, uh, it was more than just a 1200 seat restaurant, which is pretty unheard of anyways, pretty uncommon. But it was also that they had like, uh, you know, famous comedians go and, and Jerry Seinfeld and Phyllis Diller would go and perform there. I mean, it was it was not your typical kind of restaurant. Now, over time, it also became something of a little bit of a community center where people would go for their communions or their bar mitzvahs or what have you. So it continued to build over time, which is an important thing to keep in mind. You know, sometimes you might come up with something remarkable right out of the gate. And other times it may be something that you're hearing back from your your audience. Maybe they heard that, hey, I'd love to have my bar mitzvah here. I'd love to have my father's 70th birthday here. And suddenly, you know, they start to say, this is really where we should start to focus our attention. Okay. So what happens once you've found your, whatever it is that makes you remarkable, your unique selling, your unique selling proposition? Well, so I would say, first of all, even if you discover that there's already something in the find category, I would still go through all the other filters because the more filters that you can layer upon your, or the more lenses you use to, to kind of layer upon, the more difficult it is for anybody to compete with you. And the whole goal to being remarkable is that you really don't have any direct competition. And so other examples of fine. Uh, in the fine category might be around pricing, for example. And I'm not saying you should be the, the least expensive because that's just a great, that's not really, being cheap is not remarkable. Being the cheapest might be remarkable in certain situations. Um, giving out free food might be remarkable. You might also go out of business, but you know the bottom line is that certainly would be remarkable. And I've heard of restaurants that like all the food on Sundays are free or all the food on Tuesdays are free, whatever the case would be is. And it got incredible word of mouth and that caused people to go all the days of the week, not just when the food was free. Um, you know, once something's been done once, once the novelty is worn off, then it may not be remarkable anymore. But it is still something that um, might be worth trying. Yeah, and or, or so, having something that's on the menu, like say seasoned popcorn, which you can like you can make in house with next to nothing, and maybe give that away for free or do it for like fifty cents. But you have something else on the menu that is a big seller that you're bumping up maybe 50 or 20 cents extra to, to compensate for that cost of popcorn. So you, as the consumer, you're getting huge value by getting something free that's costing you next to something and they're paying for it. They just don't know how they're paying for it in other places. Right. 
And it's funny that you say that because that brings me back to uh, every every other Wednesday, my dad would take me out one-on-one to the ground round when I was growing up. And back then, you could take the peanut shells and throw them on the ground. Like that was their big thing. You can get free peanuts, free popcorn, and you can throw the peanut shells on the ground. And people love doing that. And then I think somebody went into anaphylactic shock and that was the end of that but um at the same time it was something that people loved that idea that you could just be so casual in a restaurant and they would just clean up after you and it probably cost them next to nothing but it was something that got people talking about the ground round when it was still kind of a fledgling chain so a big part of this isn't just pricing but it's also the experience that you're creating that's unique it could definitely be the experience that you're creating. Like it could be that, you know, all your waiters and waitresses are dressed like sumo wrestlers or professional wrestlers or whatever it may be. You know, it's, it's just something that you're doing that, you know, uh, and I don't want to get too far away from fine because these are things that you're already doing, but people are talking about the reason why people chose you, you know, uh, it was back in the day, Domino's with their 30-minute delivery promise and stuff like that. That was something that was really nobody else was offering at the time. So those are things that they found worked for them until it didn't, and they leaned into it. Anything else you want to unpackage with Find? Uh, there's so many things that you can figure out. It could be your people. It could be, like we talked about, not you, you might be the most expensive, that the pricing thing. Um, it could be the way that you deliver the food. It could be the fact that uh, you only do curbside pickup or that you deliver it right to the people's houses or whatever it may be, or you have specialty cocktails that are really novel, not just fancy, but you know, one-of-a-kind concoctions that would get people talking, and that's the reason why they like going to your restaurant. So I'm happy you mentioned people because when one of the, the concerns that popped up in the back of my head is one of the lessons I've learned over so many interviews with restaurateurs is when you're looking for this unique selling proposition or whatever your strengths are, would you say that that should be something that you bring to the table, like a personal strength of your own? Like if you're the owner of the business and you're good at doing this thing, should you hinge the business off of your ability to do that thing? I think it's a tricky rope to walk, honestly. Why? Because I'm thinking about like a, a local pizza place that I really like, uh, Anthony's. And the yeah. pizza's good, and uh, but but the people are fantastic. Like, I just love them. Every time I walk in, Tony's like, Rich Brooks, you know, with his big handshake and always grabs me by the hand and stuff. Always has a story to tell about his days in the East End in Boston. It's just like, it's hard not to fall in love with Tony, right? He's just a great guy. But he couldn't do that if he was opening up a chain of Anthony's restaurants. Like, he just couldn't be there. So I think... Um, it could be you or could be some member of your team. Maybe you have excellent managers, excellent wait staff. Now, obviously, in the restaurant industry, there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of turnover, except in certain types of restaurants. So that may be difficult. But yeah, if you're that kind of guy, if you're the Tony of your restaurant and people coming to see you, then yeah, lean into that. But just keep in mind that that's not something that's scalable. Mm-hmm. Not that everything about your business or marketing should be scalable. But the bottom line is, if your goal is to have a chain of restaurants or to sell one day, then you might be at a disadvantage if you're the reason why everybody keeps coming. Yes. In. And I think that's that. it all depends is really what it comes down to is what is your vision for yourself and your business? Do you want to be the chef and you only want one location and do you want it to hinge around you? If that's what you're going for, if that's your end game, then by all means. But if if you're creating a people dependent operation, then like you said, it's going to make scaling really difficult because it's harder to recreate people. It's much more harder to recreate a person than it is to recreate a system. Right. Agreed. Because people, uh, I don't want people to think, Oh, you just have good customer service. 
I'm like, no, there's good customer service, which is essential. And then there's having remarkable people on your team. And as an example, like we do, we, we've now hired a number of people internally at Flight New Media who are great copywriters. But I have one copywriter who's not a member of my team or not a, in, uh, an employee of mine. But I give her jobs every chance I can, even though I don't make as much money because she is phenomenal. Not only is she a good copywriter at a good price, but when she works with a client, everybody falls in love with her. She just makes you feel immediately good about everything you're doing at that point. She, and I'm like, anybody can write great copy, but how many people can write great copy and give you a dose of endorphins at the same time? Yeah. So I never have complaints about her. So in my mind, she's a remarkable person to partner with. Those are the kind of people, you can't teach that in customer service. Customer service just gets you to a point where you're treating people the way they should be treated. But then there are those people who are just like, there's something about them they're that's so out. charismatic. Yeah. yeah. And there you go. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, and I think you said Flight New Media, and I think now's a good time to correct myself. I said take Flight New Media for some reason. That's okay. I think it's because it, of my aviation background. I don't know why. Like it, when I right. hear Flight, I think take Flight. I don't know. Well, the domain name is takeflight.com. <laughs> so you're not the first person oh, to call it by okay, the wrong okay, name. Okay. Thank you go. for and Jared correcting me. So I have to give him props. He, he sent me a <laughs> message. So uh, I just want to make sure everybody heard that correctly or is hearing that correctly. Uh, okay. So let's move on to the focus element of remark- remarkability. Yeah. So, you know, this is just the idea of you say niche, I say niche, but either whatever, however you like to pronounce it, it's really about niching down until you are the only person offering what you do to your ideal customer. And uh, you and I were talking a little bit about John Lee Dumas uh, before we got started. And when I'm talking about niching down, JLD is actually uh, an example that I give. And very quick story, and John talks about this in his book, uh, his new book, uh, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. And he talks about when he first got started, that he was uh, an avid listener of podcasts, wanted to start his own podcast, trying to figure out how he could stand out. Um, And one of the things he noticed is that every podcast back then was a weekly podcast. And he would often be frustrated by the lack of inspirational business content out there. So he decided what he was going to do is he was going to do a daily podcast. And everybody's like, you can't do a daily podcast. (laughs) It's not done. You're going to burn out. Not only that, no one's going to want to listen. Nobody wants a daily podcast. That's just too much content. And John was thinking like, I know that it's not for everybody, but I know that there's an audience out there who are looking for a daily podcast episode. And so he went and he did it. And in part because he was doing it every day and in part because he developed uh, this niche. And just around that time was when when podcasts again was blowing up and all these journalists wanted to interview, you know, podcasters. He immediately came to the top of everybody's mind because he's doing it every single day. That got him more visibility. That got him more listeners. That got him more guests. That got him more sponsors. That's only one reason why John Lee Dumas became you know, the entrepreneur on fire. But it is a very good way of looking at it because even though he did more rather than less, it's still the idea of he niched down to serve a smaller audience. And when you serve a smaller audience you can often get rid of a lot of your competition because they don't want to go after that smaller slice of pie. But you also get much better at serving that specific audience and you can charge much higher prices. Yeah. And when I was doing my research into remarkability, 
I found this interesting statistic that in 2017, I believe it was, the average uh, primary care physician, your general doctor, was making $247,000 a year in the U.S., which is nice work if you can get it. But the average specialist that same year was making $399,000. Now, these are doctors who actually can help you with less things. And they probably know less, but they know more about a very specific area. And when you need help in that area, you're willing to pay more to a specialist to get that. So one other way of uncovering or unleashing your remarkability is somehow constricting something about your business so that you serve a smaller audience or you offer less than your competition. And that can be a way of standing out as well. Yeah. And there's other things that are coming to my mind because this is something that I preach all the time is focused on like one of the big lessons I've learned from restaurant unstoppable is instead of trying to be everything to everybody, try to be the best thing to a really small group of people. Uh, the, the power of doing one thing really well. And like all the things that you mentioned, uh, or you know, you, you can charge more absolutely if you do one thing really well. But beyond that, I mean, I think it's important to mention what are some of the other reasons before I just start spitting stuff out? Did you have other points you wanted to make? Well, you know, I, I was curious to hear what you were going to say, but I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can niche down. And so if I'm thinking about restaurants, you know, it could be that you are, I mean, some obvious ones are your geographic territory. So you could even do something like, I'm going to reduce the places where I'm going to deliver to. As long as there's enough people there, I'm going to reduce my delivery area, which means I can get the cars coming back and forth more quickly. I can serve more people that way. Or, you know, another obvious one might be that I'm going to have a gluten-free restaurant or I'm I'm going to have, you know, like, um, uh, what's the name of that diet? Um, paleo? The, the Neanderthal diet. Paleo. Paleo. Yes. You might have paleo nights. So Sunday night is paleo nights and we only serve paleo food. You know, that's going to bring in a very specific audience, those sorts of nights. So by specializing in something, even if it's one day a week, you can greatly increase the people who uh, will resonate with that message. And this is one of the other lessons of the remarkability formula is when you do this right, you start to attract the right type of clients or customers, and you start to push away the wrong type of customers for your business. Yeah. Uh, some of the other things that I wanted to add to the list of why this is a good idea is specifically to the restaurant industry is if you focus on doing one thing, that's all the energy you're putting into doing one thing, you're likely going to do it better than everybody else because you're just focusing on doing that one thing really well. It's also not only can you charge more, like you said, but you can also generally save money because you can then streamline your entire business around doing this one thing. Training becomes easier in the restaurant industry. Labor is a big part. Training labor is a big part of, of the expense because these people are just making, they're just dead weight in the beginning, right? So if you only have to train them how to do one thing or even better, one element of one thing, i.e. you put the cheese on, right? It's like <laughs> the, the assembly line. Then- the, And only the mozzarella cheese. Exactly. So like you can, so it's, it's, you can charge more expensive or more for it. Uh, you're, probably going to be the best at it because it's the one thing you can focus and put all of your energy into that one thing. It's cheaper because your labor is a lot less expensive when you're focusing on one thing. And then the other variable I think is you can scale much easier if you're only doing one thing. It's easier to recreate one thing over and over again than try to recreate a bunch of different things and scale that. What are some of the thoughts that are going through your head? As no, I think you're absolutely right. Those are all additional benefits. And, and a lot of these things when you do them, a lot of these lenses have other benefits outside of just being remarkable, but the niching down so that you become 
expert at something. I mean, by doing a daily podcast, John Lee Dumas got better at podcasting 7x because immediately he was doing everything. And then even more so because he had to come up with systems so that he could interview he had seven people in a single day. Right, exactly. Trying to find it. Like he had to streamline it. Uh. Exactly. So <laughs> there's a lot of benefits to doing that. And the comment I made about the right type of audience is also important because if you're of a certain type of person, maybe you listen to NPR and you have a certain approach to food, then having a farm to table restaurant might feel better for you than doing some sort of, you know, uh, cheap food restaurant takeoff kind of a thing. And you're going to attract the kind of people who want that farm to table experience. And I'm reminded of a restaurant bar, an Irish pub, I think it was called Doyle's down in Jamaica Plain when I used to live down there. And I remember reading in the in newspaper, the Boston Globe back then, that uh, when the new owners had taken it over, one of the first things they did is they got rid of Budweiser. And um, they used to have a lot of fights down there. And they used to, the police used to come all the time. And one of the first things he does, he gets rid of Budweiser. And this guy came back. He said, you know, we'd come back if you guys would just bring back Budweiser. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess it just, it's not going to work out. And those guys were the troublemakers. And I'm not dissing on people who like Budweiser because everybody has their own taste buds. But the bottom line is by changing the type of beer they served and going with more traditional Irish beers and more exotic beers, they, they brought a higher quality uh, higher spending, I should say, not higher quality, but higher spending audience who was looking for that true Irish pub experience. And they had a lot less fights and a lot less uh, visits from the police. I love it. Um, interesting stuff. So I think we've unpackaged uh, folk. Was it focus around right now? No, we're on focus. Uh, yes. Yeah, we are on focus. Uh, any other final thoughts before we move over to fashion? Oh, let's hit fashion because that one's a little tougher to explain anyways. All right. Beautiful. Get into fashion. All right. So the idea of fashion is the idea that uh, you can you can create something or maybe you've already created it that is not necessarily intrinsic to your product or service, but is in alignment with either your mission or your vision or your values. And so this is a difficult concept to understand. And very often people have to create it, you know, once we start talking about it. But some examples are Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So Ben and Jerry's comes up with this new flavor and with different flavor chunks and cashews and pecans and all this sort of stuff. And if it was any other uh, ice cream company, it would have just been another flavor to sell at the supermarket or in stores. But they called this flavor pecan resist. And they basically said that the money that we raise from this is going to go to these four very progressive groups that are going to fight for change in America. Now, obviously, it pissed off a lot of people, but there was an even bigger audience who loved it. And when you look at the sales of this and when you look at the social media impact, like when they announced other flavors that they were releasing, you know, on Twitter, you might see them get 10 or 15 retweets and, you know, maybe 100 or less likes. When they put this out and they announced this on Twitter, uh, I believe it was something like a thousand retweets and 10,000 likes, numbers right around that area. So there's a lot more engagement. And obviously, they could have called it anything, right? It was still going to taste the same. So it wasn't intrinsic to the offering, but they were aligning themselves with their own values, which tends to be very liberal, which, like I said, some people love that, some people hate it. But we often want to choose brands that are we feel are in alignment with our beliefs. I mean, nobody buys a my pillow pillow because they want a better night's sleep. They buy it because of their political leanings or they don't buy it because of their political leanings. So that's one example. Um, but even things like my agents have changed conference. So 
I didn't start that necessarily with the idea that I was going to generate business from it. I was mainly mainly because I was going to places like Blog World and New Media Expo and uh, South by, and I'm like. I'm meeting people from all over the world. I'm changing my business. And yet I almost never run into anybody from Maine at these events. So what if I just threw my own version of this here in Portland, see what happens. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And so it came from that. And obviously Flight New Media is an agency that does digital marketing and an agents of change is kind of empowering people to do their own. But there's a lot of alignment in the values here. Like I want to show businesses how they can succeed online. And all of a sudden, even though this wasn't the original idea, when people see me up on stage as Rich Brooks, you know, from Agents of Change, from Flight New Media, that the branding at the conference has a lot of Flight New Media stuff on it, they start associating those two brands together. And so, you know, like any business, when somebody calls me up and they're like, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking to do some business with you. And I say, how'd you hear of us? They're like, oh, well, I've been going to the Agents of Change for like five years now, but I finally need a new website or I finally need social media help, whatever it is. And then that's how it starts. So agents of change became something extrinsic. It became something that we fashioned that ended up bringing us literally hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of business since I've started. And I love this one. I was thinking back when you were talking about um, niche, I almost asked you, well, can't like a core value be something that you can focus on or something or whatever makes you remarkable, right? And I'm happy that I, I sat on that, that question because it seems like that's what you're addressing with fashion is it's it's kind of like Simon Sinek start with why, right? Yeah. Like why are you doing this thing? What is the what is your 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 purpose that is unique that might resonate with the people who want to do business or who will do business with you because you resonate with them. Right. So here's an example, right? And this is a restaurant example that I often use. I should have started with this one. Um, have you heard of the lost table in Maine? Is that the lost the bear? Tab- the lost bear? No, no, the great lost bear. That's a different one. I'm sorry. Is they that have great the lost wings, kitchen? The, the lost kitchen. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Uh, the Lost Kitchen is this small, like, eight-table restaurant in, I want to say it's Liberty, Maine. It's like 17 miles from the coast. It's seemingly 1,000 miles from everywhere else. <laughs> and uh, it's a seasonal restaurant. And basically, the only way that you can make a reservation, because reservations, again, not remarkable, um, the only way you can do it is to practice your penmanship. Because what you have to do is you have to write a postcard to them between very specific days. Pre-COVID, it was like April 4th or April 10th, and you send it in. And then they basically randomly choose or whatever system they use, who's going to get a reservation that year. And it's just crazy that they would do it this way. They actually started it because the year before they had gotten featured in a bunch of magazines and something about it took off and they had their phone lines crash on the first day they took reservations when 10,000 people tried to call the exact same time. So the next year they switched over to postcards. And so that's how it basically started, which is a great story. And I'm sure people are like, yeah, well, I don't have 20,000 people who want a reservation at my place. They were already successful. Yeah. Yes, they were already successful. But again, they could have used an app. They could have used Open Table. They could have used Resi, whatever it is. They could have built an app, right, to take those reservations. They wouldn't have to deal with all of those postcards. Yeah. But this is a very organic farm-to-table experience, like uh, basically the um, – I'm bank- blanking on her name uh, – er- Erica French or something like that. Uh, wh- whatever she is, she never studied – uh, culinary services. She just basically got into it and she basically just decided that uh, she was going to start this restaurant. Great backstory, but everything about it is organic. Like 
she has personal relationships with all the farmers. They take a picture. They're like, here's what we're pulling today. She's like, great. And then she makes up the, uh, the menu that night. And you sit at these long tables that she made herself with random other families. Like it's a very organic experience. Well, the whole thing, it sounds that, like the whole thing about this brand is organic from the source. Exactly. So, so it, because this, their brand is slow and like slow food, you know, slow, slow, certain, not slow, meaning like intimate. You know, this right. isn't fast food. This is very intimate. It's slow. And the process of making a reservation itself is slow and intimate and old-fashioned. So it's, it's very aligned. It's very on-fashioned. Exactly. So yeah. that's a good example of fashioning something that, you know, obviously they didn't need to go the postcard route, but it is, it is a great approach. And, and if I can give you one more example that's also in the food industry, not exactly restaurants. Yeah, before you but, give me um, that example, though, I okay. also I, I love... The, thinking of what you just share with us, it sounds like another thing this woman did is she also made the experience. She added scarcity to it, which is, I think another thing you can do to be unique or to be focused is to intentionally limit the amount. So, so, so many times people are just so focused on volume. How many, how many people can we serve in the shortest amount of time? If you throw it out the, the window and say, no, we only want to serve 10 people a night and we're going to make it hard to get on that list. You can pre-sell like a year out and that gives you liquid. You know, now you have this, now you have people buying tickets and, and reserving spots six months, six months out in advance. So you right, know exactly. exactly. So in the restaurant world, that's a huge benefit. Sorry to interrupt. The, and go a little no, bit no, it's a that. great idea. And then from there, you could even do things where you sell t-shirts and other merch that's only available to people who actually ate at the restaurant. Yeah. So it becomes like a collector's item. You yeah. know, there's all these different things that you can do. Um, yeah, scarcity is a, it's not part, well, I guess it is part of the remarkability formula because it's part of focus, but it's its own thing also. And certainly something that people should look at as a way of really making their marketing more effortless yeah. because it is a definite psychological trigger. You had another example. Um, Did you, I was just going to say yeah. that, uh, one of the things that I, and I discovered this looking at imager one night, um, spot, uh, uh, Barilla pasta has Spotify playlists that are the exact length of how long you should cook different uh, versions of their pasta. Oh, that's cool. So it's like they've got spaghetti ones and linguine ones and, and a few silly playlists, and you can play different ones. They're, they're often got covers by um, Italian musicians in there. The artwork of the cover is all Italian, done by Italian artists. And it's the whole idea. Barilla always says, like, uh, food is art. Cooking is art. And so, again, they didn't need to create playlists. You can just say... I won't say her name because she's listening, but Lexi, hey, Lexi, set me a timer for 15 minutes and she's going to set that timer for you. But we often get distracted and it's just a very cool, interesting way of creating something that, that's really in alignment with your brand. Awesome. So we've up to this point, correct me if I'm wrong, covered three out of the four lenses. We've covered uh, find, we've covered focus, and we've covered fashion. Is there anything else relative to fashion you want to drop on us before we move to the fourth and final? I'm sure lens? there's a million other examples we can come up with, but let's just let's just keep going. Okay, one more quick break with, to with, thank uh, our sponsors. Yeah, one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to unpackage uh, frame and do some listener Q&A. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? 
not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We are back and we have unpackaged three out of the four lenses through which you have to become, how do you say this? A re- remarkability, the, the, the remarkability formula. Sorry. <laughs> what, what is the fourth and final lens we need to focus on? So this is another one that takes a little bit of thinking. I'm calling it frame. And it's basically about something that you're already doing, but maybe positioning it in a new way that makes it stand out, that makes it remarkable for your ideal customer. And my favorite example of this um, 
a guy who actually was on my podcast, Matthew Pollard, he actually speaks about the introvert's edge. That's kind of his hook. But he was he's also really good at business consulting and helping people reframe their own business. And he was working with this woman. I want to say her name was Wendy Huang. And she had created a business in San Francisco teaching people Mandarin. And it was a very successful business. And um, then the internet. And suddenly... She's got all of these local people who are just starting out and doing these kind of uh, Chinese lessons uh, for cheap because they're just trying to build their, their reputation. And so suddenly she's competing against them. And then also people from China um, through Fiverr are doing Chinese lessons for people. And so all of a sudden it's like there's no way she can even compete. And she sees this very healthy business basically shrink to nothing. And when he sat down with her, he noticed that a couple of her clients were actually business people. And he, start, he starts asking her questions. And she says, yeah, you know, they're moving. It's, uh, they're, they're moving. They've been reassigned to, the, to China for the, from their business. And uh, I'm also helping them kind of, you know, navigate uh, business in China, talking about, like, uh, culture and make sure they do and say the right things. And, and I'm actually working with their spouse and their kids because they're going with them. And as you can imagine, it's very difficult to suddenly uproot your family and move them to China. And so he's like, so you're helping these business people and their companies succeed in China. She's like, well, yeah, I guess. He's like, great. You that's, are now the China success coach. Yeah. <laughs> And you are only going to go after this audience. And actually, when he worked with her even further, they ended up narrowing their audience that they were going to go after is to the recruiters. So anytime the recruiters knew that they had to find somebody to move to China, the recruiters would give her a call to do the the whole lessons and stuff like that. And suddenly she was charging significantly more and had almost no competition for this audience. Yeah, I think when I hear you say this, it's like it reminds me again back to what we we're talking about in the workshop we're recording right now with Stephanie Robson on business planning. Business planning isn't a one and done thing. Business planning is a dynamic document that you're constantly working on and you're constantly reframing right yeah Uh, and i think over time when you go into business you have one strategy teach mandarin over time whether you're aware of it or not you develop a specialty you develop special skills you 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 develop you further niche down and sometimes we're so close to it that you know we just it's 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 like omnipresent we don't even see it you know Uh, it's like not even seeing the air around you you're just not aware of it until somebody else points it out uh, right, exactly. And, and I think being like ha- knowing and constantly going through these exercises of like what are my strengths will help you reframe and refocus and, and niche down even further. Absolutely. And, and I think you, you just did a great job of that because you also mentioned niching down. And that's one of the things that I just keep on trying to hammer home with people. It's like, Two things. One is use as many of these layers as possible, bring them together, because the more of these lenses that you use, the more unassailable your position in the marketplace becomes, because it's more and more difficult to compete with you directly. But the other thing is, at the end of the day, these are just labels. These are labels I more or less created to simplify the process and to let people memorize what they are so they could take this away with them. And so understanding that like um, uh, Wendy Huang was using frame, but she was also using focus because ultimately she targeted her audience specifically for people whose businesses were forcing them to go to China and had all these other issues that that they needed to address. And so a lot of times it's about combining these and it's recognizing that these are just labels. They're just a process to help you uncover or create 
something remarkable about your your business or your restaurant. Awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Rich. Conversation, Rich. Uh, the question, I, what I have to ask you is, how can we connect? What's the best way to connect with you? Sure. So um, if you're on social media and you just want to connect with me, I am the Rich Brooks on every single platform. If you're a podcast listener and you like more of this digital marketing stuff, I'd, I'd invite you to check out my podcast at theagentsofchange.com and it's the Agents of Change podcast. And, you know, if you are interested in doing any work with us, you can also find me. Just use the contact form at takeflightflyte.com. Yeah, and I didn't give you a heads up uh, about this, but I wrap up every chat by having my guest call somebody out. So when you're thinking about the restaurant industry, uh, is there a restaurant tour or somebody, maybe who a restaurant tour who's doing marketing really well, who comes to mind? Somebody that you think I should get on the, the show to be a future guest mentor? <sighs> That I know the restaurant uh, world isn't your focus. No, it's not. And uh, you must know and uh, Bruce Irving. Yes, right? of course I know Bruce. Yes. So Bruce would be the guy that I would think of when it comes to marketing and restaurants. Um, but uh, you know who might be interesting? There's a guy up here who both my, my girlfriends, both of her daughters work uh, at his restaurants. He owns two restaurants here. One's more of a bar and one's a restaurant. Um, but he does a great job with the restaurant itself and creating a real experience in an atmosphere. Um, uh, Joshua Miranda and the two restaurants are Blythe and Burroughs. That's more of the bar one. Um, but in Portland, you always have to serve food. Yeah. They also do the most crazy, delicious uh, cocktails there as well. And then his new Italian restaurant, which is called Via Vecchia. And both of those are excellent. Uh, definitely. If you're in the Portland area, I check both of those out. That was Joshua. Josh, yeah, Josh Miranda, like as in your rights. Josh Miranda, look how I'm coming after you. And I have to I have to admit, when you first started saying that you your girlfriend worked there, her two daughters worked there, I thought you almost said your two girlfriends worked there. And I was like, what kind of life? That would have gotten me into Portland? trouble for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Rich. This was a lot of fun. Tons of great advice in today's episode. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value in today's conversation. Rich Brooks, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. So uh, lots of things were supposed to be going on next week in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. We actually had a workshop lined up for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Three-part workshop on menu engineering with Donald Burns. Um I don't know the details. Donald had a cancel on me. Unfortunately, uh, he ran into some complications. He had surgery. Uh, so do me a favor and join me in kind of sending him some positive energy so he can get better. Uh, I don't know the significance or severity of it. Honestly, he just sent me a message saying he's going to have to reschedule. I haven't heard back from him. So uh, they'll send him some, some positivity. Uh, I'm sure that workshop will happen eventually, but next week, in the network what is still happening is the book club i don't know if you guys are aware but we started a restaurant unstoppable book club where we're basically going through i don't know you you know i ask all my guests what books they recommend we have a list side note if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash books there's a complete list of every book that's ever been recommended prioritized by most recommended 
you probably didn't know that. So make sure you're checking out that page in the book club. We're, we're pretty much going through those books and reading those books together together and having conversation, but it's not like other book clubs where we're just reading the book and talking about it. We're really trying to slow down and implement these lessons uh, into our business and holding each other accountable. Uh, so if you're interested in joining that book club, uh, on Monday, the book recovering is abundance by Peter Diamandis and, uh, Peter Kotler. Uh, and that book abundance is, is really influencing me right now. And this idea of how to create change and we'll, it covers how to create change in the world, but it also discusses how change is eminent and it's, it's coming. The world's changing faster than we know it. And, and it kind of gives you a picture of what the future looks like. So that's why we're reading this book because I think you guys can get ahead of the curve. So if you're interested in joining us to read the book abundance, uh, then come join the network and join us Monday at 11 AM to be a part of the chat. All right, guys, until next time, peace out.